Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 83 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy. Today's episode is brought to you by PWCC. PWCC has nearly 12,000 auctions ending Sunday, including 1,400 plus basketball lots. Some absolutely huge items that I will be highlighting on my Instagram later this week. Tonight, they have the vintage premiere auction that is also ending. What are you waiting for if you have not signed up and if you're not bidding? Some of the best auctions out there, again, at PWCC. Guys, last week's episode, um, I, I got a ton of um, a ton of follow-up from people, good, wonderful collectors. I had a couple of people who said things like, this is like, this is the episode I've been waiting for. This is what I want people to be talking about. And let me just start out by saying like, I have no idea what's going to happen in the market. Not a clue, but I do love, and I, and I don't actually genuinely love even speculating about it, but I love thinking about what cards matter. And so one of the people who I talked to is today's guest, the one and only Ross Berman. Ross, how are you doing, brother? Doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me on today. Um, you know, when you messaged me about this topic, I, I was overjoyed because, uh, you know, first off, I have a lot of things through the Panini era, but it is a fascinating topic uh, and a fascinating thought of, of kind of a what if, right? When this brand or certain uh, nameplates within it potentially stop or cease to exist, what does that mean, right? Um, and what does the landscape look like? And so while, while we're not here to speculate, it is fun to talk about um, just the hobby from, from this angle. So let me start with this question. I think it's kind of an interesting one. Um, and I don't know how, I don't know where you're going to take it. I don't even know exactly how I feel about it. I'm still sort of formulating, but what do you hope, what do you hope happens, um, with Panini and, and why do you hope that that happens? Yeah, look, I think, I think eras of cards, right. Whether you're talking vintage, whether you're talking the nineties, whether you're talking early two thousands, you can categorize each era, if you will, or each kind of grouping of cards into one place, right? And I think for a lot of people that have been in the hobby just the last several years, uh, or even those that have been here throughout multiple eras, you can kind of understand that each card or type of card has a place in, in each segment. Um, so in my mind, like, I think an end to an era, a start of something new is always welcomed. I also think having something fresh and something new within the space is good too. And if you can have both of those things kind of happen simultaneously, I think it's healthy for a market. And so while I don't wish Panini away, uh, I do think it's healthy if some of the nameplates cease to exist and something new takes the mantle and kind of begins. Um, that's kind of my early reaction. Right. And so I'm not rooting for or against anybody here, but, uh, I don't know, man. It's exciting, right? Like it's exciting because you're potentially looking at like a new frontier of, of kind of the next era of the hobby. Dude. I love that response. I love the idea that, you know, you, you've loved, you've loved the era as it's been, but if it's the end and we get something new where you called it a new frontier, that's opportunity. It's change. It's something else to sort of look forward to. And maybe even it's something to look back at because the the panini era as it were if it is over you know yep. and i don't know by the way that we know that it is there's totally a chance that panini and the rights to those brands could 100 percent be purchased by fanatics 
there's all sorts of things that could happen, but let's just say that it is done. With all that said, I think today's episode will be really fun. I know you brought three things. I, I asked you a question via text. I should pull it up and say exactly what I said, but I challenged you to think of three or four things that you believe from the Panini era, assuming it's over, that three, three or four things under any category that you think will matter. Why don't we start by you giving us the first thing that you think will matter from the Panini era, and then we'll, we'll alternate. Yeah, look, you know I am a fan of, of firsts. So I think anything that is, is truly rare and, and was a first from a handful of sets, and I'm not here to speculate on those sets. I think collectors can make those decisions from themselves. But I think firsts. And the one we always talk about a lot is, is 2012, right? Uh, and I think we both kick ourselves on, on golds from that year and prism in general. Um, but for this first one, I know it, it's pretty general. I'm throwing out a huge range, but key rare firsts. And if you look up and down the era from 2012 to now, let's just say the last 10 years to make it clean, there's a lot of truly rare firsts and some hidden gems and some key sets that I think in time will age extremely well. Well, you're going to appreciate that my second thing on my list was the idea of firsts. Um, I... I think that if there's one thing that's been very clear over the course of the history of the hobby, it's that the first time that a set is done, it really matters. And we can go through, I don't even know how many examples. In some cases, it doesn't always come to fruition the way that we would think. One example that comes to my mind is 93 Finest. Yep. 93 Finest is the first time we see shiny cards. And it's still a very popular set, but because probably because of greening, probably because of lack of popularity around the rookie class, um, and maybe because there's quite a, a large amount of it out there, it didn't hit the same way that, for example, 10 years later, 03 Exquisite hit. Yep. Um, I do think it's interesting, too. You get Finest in 93, you get Exquisite in 03. And those are two of the major innovations. And then you get, you know, in 2012 and 2013, you get, um, you know, some of the high-end brands, some of the the big time, like, you know, Flawless from the first time and, you um, and immaculate for the first time. What? Here's a question for you. What do you think about the first national treasures? Because that's a first of the Panini yep. era. What do you think? What do you think will happen with that? Well, and remember too, when I say first, I don't necessarily mean the first year as much as the first of even an insert that's later down the line, but becomes important, right? And so I want to call that distinction. I just because national treasures first happened there, I don't necessarily think in that case everything about that will matter. But I think there's firsts in terms of like, you know, inserts in certain years and stuff like that, mm. that, that show up or move between brands and, and people will hate me for it, but it's, you know, it, when they put Kaboom into basketball, it created kind of an excitement in, in an, a groundswell of collectors that maybe weren't in the hobby or, weren't involved in this space that really loved that because it bridged to the Marvel world, the sports world, the whole thing. And, and let me pause there for a second. I'm not here to pump kabooms or not. There's been plenty of folks out there that, uh, that love to talk about that. I'm using it as a case study here, but use a kaboom, which came out, um, gosh, 2013, I think was the first one, right? So not even the first of the era uh, in terms of 2012, but 
a first there. And what's so unique about it is look at just the human excitement of when a new Marvel movie comes out, right? We, we all know it's good versus evil. We all know what to expect when you go to the movie, but we all continue to show up in droves for those, even for the fourth iteration of a Spider-Man, which is new characters, right? I think that's kind of what played out in that example with Kaboom. And then you start to dive deeper on true rarity in certain years where it's actually really hard to find certain guys. And that plays into the first for me more than anything. Anything. So back to your question about national treasures, I don't know if people will wake up and say, gosh, that first year is more important than 2018 or more important than, than Giannis. I don't know about that. I think in that case, that brand label will be important from the era more than the first iteration of it or not. And that gets into some of my other points later on. But, you know, that's one where I almost wouldn't put it in the first camp as much as I put it as just a mainstay brand or label within the the Panini era. Fantastic. I think your answer of firsts of the era and keeping that broad, we could talk about that for a whole episode, but I think that's a great first answer. My first answer is totally on brand for me. I think it's 2012 Prism. Sure. Um, you know, and and so along with your idea of something being first, obviously 2012 Prism is is the first Prism ever. You know, it's extended to I don't know how many sports or, or entities at this point, but but the first Prism that we ever saw was 2012 in basketball, and we saw a lot lower quantities of it. Not of the golds, right? The golds are still just out of ten, like they've been every year. But yep. far far fewer base, far fewer silvers, far fewer greens. Greens were just retail. I don't know if greens, how, how greens will fare as time goes by, but I do sort of look at them and I think they're interesting because even though they're retail only, which I generally think is not like a great strategy for success, it is 2012 Prism. It's still under that same sort of branch. And, you know, you've just, you've got all this stuff that came from that first from that first product. And I think as we get further and further away from it, people will look back and say, wow, that's really the product that, that, that people sort of viewed this whole era through. Yep. Um, and it's, again, I think it's the whole thing. It's the base set, it's the silvers, which we believe there are about 175 to 185 of. Um, it's the autographs. I haven't seen anybody Ross put together the autograph set, which is kind of shocking. It's crazy. Um, and we know that there's several big collectors that are doing the golds and people like me who who have nice collections who value their golds more than they do just about any other part. I mean, I, I'll tell you, my Steph and my Kobe are probably like two of the last cards that I'd moved in my whole collection. So, sure. um, to me, 2012 Prism, as we move further and further away from it, it's just always going to matter because it's it's culturally significant. Right. People know what Prism is. And that was the that was the first brand. Any thoughts? Look, man, I think you're spot on. I mean, if you're to call out one brand, right, I kind of mentioned at the top that I think there's a handful of brands and I'll let people decide. But I think people can unanimously say that if Prism doesn't matter from the Panini era, back to your question, if the Panini era ends and, and Prism doesn't matter, then nothing else matters. And what I mean when I say that is like, that is the era like that is the rolex i've heard it explained like that that is the rolex of of that time frame of collecting does it mean it's the most expensive nameplate no does it mean it's the cheapest no but it it means it's the most universally accepted and kind of seen as the true rookie 
right, for the everyman in, in prison. And each year, regardless of print run, you've kind of seen that become the standard bearer for their rookie, right? It's not always their first rookie, but it is seen as the rookie to have, whether it's the base, refractor, or gold. People want the prism rookie. And if you're a player collector, a set collector, a team collector, you have something from prism from your team, your guy, your thing. And I don't think we can say that about any other brand. So I think you're spot on with 2012. I think the other thing I'd say about 2012 too, if you call out a specific year like that, it was the first and it started a really important trend with gold that is carried on throughout each year. So no matter how many parallels each you know, passing year has, which there's a million now, I don't even know all of them anymore. The one tried and true has been silver and gold, right? Which are inherently kind of very human for us too, right? Gold, we, we hear gold. And what do you think when you hear gold as a human, right? Yes. You, yeah. Yeah, well, the standard, the, the gold, like, how much gold do you have, right? It's just whether it's what we've taught culturally or just what we think it's become, not become, it's kind of the standard gold of what we think around status and success and, and whatever. And I think Panini's hit the nail on the head by keeping that 210 pure gold every year. And it started in 2012. So I love your answer there. We're both we're both fans of prism, but I think, you know, it's, it's worth calling out. We're both definitely fans of the prism gold parallel. For um, sure. And um, you know, the, the thing that, the thing that I thought when you were talking about that is how cool it is that once upon a time, it may have only been one in every three or four boxes where you got a gold in 2012. Yeah. And now I don't know how many boxes you have to open to get an average base set gold. It's certainly a lot more than so. That is such a funny point, and, and we, we don't have to go too long on this on this first section, but <laughs> that's the other thing people don't realize, in my opinion. And so, look, I'm a homer. I've got my golds. I, like you, even later years, they'd be the last things I'd let go because I just cherish them yep. from, from Prism. But people don't realize that as they expanded print runs, to your point exactly, you're lucky to open a case now and get one gold. Right. By the way, there's a million more insert subsets that have a goal that could be your goal. Right. So actually the probability of getting, say, a LeBron or Kobe gold, right, in any current release might be, not might be, is more difficult than even the earlier years. I thought. It's more expensive because those matter. It's like first edition Spider-Man or Superman, whatever, first issue. But they're actually statistically harder to get every year that passes, which so, only adds to it. So if you think about it like this, this is this is sort of like top of head math, and some of this will be a little bit off, but it's directionally pretty close. I think they're I think they were like one in four boxes, like yep. one in ninety-ish packs um, back in twenty twelve, and so and that's for a base set gold. There yep. were I think there three hundred cards in the base set. Does that sound right to you? Are there three hundred or there four hundred? One, I think. Basketball has 300 and football has 400. I always get confused, but yep. let's say there's 300. Again, directionally correct. This isn't going to be perfect, but like 300 and you're getting one in every, you know, four, four boxes. That's one in 1,200 boxes to get the card, right? Yep. Like the card, the LeBron gold. 
yep. um, that you and I both have had on the top of our wish list for the last who knows how many years. Yep. Like to think about that today, Ross. I wonder what the the and I and you know we don't know what it is like off the top of our heads, but I guarantee you it's like huge numbers, right? Yep. Huge, huge numbers. Ten times that. Twenty times that. 100 times that just you don't have to go any further but to and we can wrap this up uh, right after this comment but you don't have to go any further than to just look at the populations of the base set and of the silvers in every other year but 2012 so that to, let, let's put a bow on this 2012 the inaugural year is the stuff that's rarer across from base set to rarer like that is that is 100 something that i believe and i think it sounds like like you do too like that is something that's that's gonna matter with that with that said Let's go to a break and let's come back with our with our number two things that we think are, are going to matter. You've probably heard about Alt, but have you registered for their auction yet? Twice a month, Alt features its Liquid Auctions event, which caters to collectors of all kinds. The platform is super easy to use, connects to your bank in minutes, and provides a super fun bidding experience. What are you waiting for? Register on Alt XYZ today. Ross, number two. What's your number two thing that you're sure will matter from the Panini era? Number two for me, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I didn't put it in the first camp as much. I think the NTRPA will matter from the Panini era. Okay. And you can put that in football or basketball, but I think the NTRPA, once again, back to kind of the standard bearer, became the most prestigious or the most important issue that you could get for a player, right? And I'm not even going to get into the golds or the emeralds or all the other stuff they did. I'm talking the peer out of 99, right? Is seen as, in my opinion, a player's best rookie you can go get. Um, and I think we've seen that play out, whether you're talking about Giannis, whether you're talking about Curry, whether you're talking about Mahomes, whether you're talking about Luca. Look, the prices have moved all over the place. I'm not here to talk about prices, but I believe in 20 years from now, People will desire having the NTRPA um, from the Panini era if their player was a rookie in the Panini era, because you, I think it'll be seen as the most important card you can have for a player. Do you think that it will be the equivalent of what the exquisite RPA was back before Upper Deck lost its license? I, you know, I don't like comparing the two because back to firsts, exquisite when it came out was just so revolutionary to the hobby back to kind of like first things that are just blow people away. It comes out, it's 500 a box. People can't believe it. Oh my gosh. Like people have been spending 40 and $50 for a box, let alone 500. I don't know if I want to compare, but I do want to say that like if the Panini era ends, and even if it doesn't, there's a time frame where licensed cards from basketball and football in this example, the best rookie card you can have, Obviously, their logo, man, rookie, all that stuff. Right. But we're talking about the best that you can kind of go get of, of a pure rookie, to me, is their NTRPA. Um, you know, and, and will, it, will it hold up to the same as Exquisite? I don't think that's fair. I think Exquisite will always be a touch above of everything, especially 0304, right? But I just think it'll be the most desired rookie from an era if you're trying to get your player. The reason that I asked the question the way that I did was that with Exquisite, there was only one base set RPA, especially 03, right? Yeah. When we think about LeBron's RPAs, you've got 
a couple that people don't think about that are like super rare, but then you've got really, you've got the exquisite to 99 into 23 and then you yep. have the ultimate collection to 25. That's it. Like those That's are really only real main mainstay. Like those are the LeBron RPAs. And I think, and frankly, most people don't probably think of the ultimate either. Um, they just think about the exquisite. So then, you know, you look at Steph, right? The beginning of the NT RPA and, and he has one regular RPA. He also has some like absolute, cards yep. that are autographs and have patches and he's got a couple other like little things but i just think there's like one main rpa in 2010 and in 2000 and or sorry in 2009 and in 2003 and i think that's a really cool thing but where it gets really complicated is when 2012 comes around 12 yep. 2012 comes around we have nt we have immaculate and then we have like the 10 rookies that are in flawless where they're that's the rarest card yeah so We've got Immaculate to 99, and it's the rarest autograph patch in most cases because NT, a lot of that year, it's, it was out of 199, but they were the biggest patches and yep. from the highest end sort of like rookie brand as we thought at the time. And then Flawless is like the rarest rookie card. And so each one of them had like their own competitive advantage. But if we look back to the upper deck and tops era, it's really clear that that was the rookie card. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's a great distinction. But the one thing I want to call out with the NTRPA that, that in my opinion, tips, tips it in its favor, because you're going to have the people that say it's not game worn, it's all that, whatever. Collectors love continuity. And so if you go back to the Panini era, what is the RPA that's existed from day one? It's that. And so, look, the only one. debate here on Immaculate and Flawless. Look, I think some of the Immaculate and Flawless is more beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I actually do. And I think the game-worn component of Flawless is even better. But I don't think people in that context look at it and go, that's the one to have. And I think it comes back to even Prism Gold in the previous example, meaning there's some optic, Adam. Take 2018 where they finally did beautiful borders. I would argue that that's better than some of the Prism that I have of like LeBron. But no one will ever pay more for 2018 Optic LeBron than they will for any year of Prism Gold LeBron. They never mm-hmm. will. And and I can yell from the mountains that I think one's more beautiful. It won't matter. Yeah. And I think that is the continuity complex, if you want to call it that. Yeah. The continuity equals brand equity, which I think you're saying it just outweighs aesthetics. It just does. And that's – it's super interesting because I think you can look back and say the same thing is true from the upper deck era, right? There are the, here, my best. Here's, here's just an immediate example that comes to my mind. Every time I see an SP authentic Kevin Durant, every time I say that's a better looking card than the exquisite rookie. I agree hundred percent. It's they're both horizontal, but the, but the SP authentic has like, doesn't have as much foil, but the, the foil on that era of, of exquisite isn't hollow foil. It's like, sort of like the silverish or platinumish, yep. whatever foil and the patches are better on spas you get a full image of of durant it's obviously it's not as rare as the exquisite but from from an aesthetic perspective i just look at the two and i, I think probably a lot of people feel the same the spa is just nicer but it's not exquisite and exquisite that that rpa like you said it has this continuity that goes from 03 to 08 and then kind of yep. into 09 because 09 is a little bit weird but that has mattered. That has really like it, it continues. Those things continue to sell for the most and to matter the most. And so I think that's true. 
Yeah, and look, I think the rarity complex does play out. It's like you said with flawless and immaculate. I think in time it will it'll have positive movements for the right players from the right year, all that stuff within some of those other sets. But I think the 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 focused upon best rookie will will be NT because it's it was there from the beginning. Um, now look, there's going to be the niche of like man, there's certain immaculates that are numbered to their jersey number right or numbered low that are unbelievable. And I think they're more some of the most beautiful cards. It just won't be seen as the one you have to have first, I guess. Mm. I, right? I don't know. On the same note, and so this this um, we already sort of talked about my second one, so I want to bump up the other one. Um, on the same note, I wanted to talk about autograph patches, not just of rookies, but of just stars. Yep. This one is a little bit funny for you because you're a big LeBron collector, right? But I know you're not just a LeBron collector. You have easily the best Donovan Mitchell collection in the world, and you have really just an unbelievable collection all around. We could talk about so many elements of it from wilt autographs to just your LeBrons to your like so many different elements of your collection. But, but let's think for a second just about autograph patches of non-rookies. Yep. Again, if you, if you – we always want to go back – I catch myself doing this all the time. Like, let's think about what it was like, and then let's just guarantee or pretend that it's going to be the same thing that happens right. this time. Yep. Sometimes there's something applicable there. Sometimes there's not. Um, Exquisite had the has the most collected autograph patches, again, non-rookies of the era by far. It's not close. Not it's even close. I have a a John Stockton that's out of UD black. That is just as nice looking as anything that came out of exquisite. Yep. In my opinion, it's number five and it's worth probably 20% of what it would be worth. Had it been produced by exquisite, maybe even less. Than that. Yep. And to pause um, you for a second, that plays out to what we were just talking about too, even from a veteran stance. Cause I agree with you that Stockton, that black, I know the one you're talking about looks more beautiful than almost anything from that era, but it hasn't been categorized as the, as the, the anointed one. Yeah. People don't think about it. Like it's like, it's like the grail because it, it has all the aesthetics, but it doesn't have all, it doesn't have the name and the brand equity and it hasn't been categorized that way. I totally agree. So, but what's, what's interesting is I think, I think you'll probably agree on this. NT is that for the RPA, but where exquisite existed in that way back in the upper deck era in the Panini era, it's, it's not as clear. It's just not. Yeah. And, and we could say, I think, I think there are people who believe that flawless is the next exquisite. Yep. I would say, this is what I would say. I don't know that that's true. I, I think that it's a combination of just the really nice autograph patches from all of the super high end sets. Yep. Um, and, and I'm sure they'll matter. I'm 100% sure they'll, they'll matter. And I'm also sure that there's more competition. I'm sure of that than there yep. was in the exquisite era. And so, you know, if you're a, unfortunately, if you're a LeBron collector, you don't have a conversation to have because there are no autograph patches from the Panini era. But like, let's say that you're a Steph collector. I think if you're a Steph collector, you have this really unique situation where you can say, I'm going to look at Noir. I'm going to look at Immaculate. I'm going to look at NT and Eminence and Flawless and all of these high-end sets. And I just want the nicest autograph patch aesthetically because unlike the upper deck era that had like a name that went along with it noble nameplates limited logos you know all of those exquisite names in the in the panini era there's just sort of like 
auto patches. And I'm sure yeah. some of them will matter, but I don't know which ones. And that's matter. and that's where I want to give Upper Deck unbelievable credit. I sure. would argue that like limited logos and those brand names, that equity is worth more than entire runs of, of some of the newer things that have been done. Like you yeah. could literally just take the limited logo brand. And I say that because even when you think about like food concepts, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the food business. You take like a Burger King, Adam, the Whopper is actually worth more brand wise. The name, the Whopper is worth more in my opinion than the Burger King name. Wow. Right now, now they might say, Hey, you could sell that name, that logo for more. Sure. But the sure. brand equity of people understanding Whopper is higher than than Burger King. And I think that's what's unique about the Exquisite Era, back to your point, is that they did such a great job of defining these labels that have not only been seen as the best, but are better than anything I think we've even seen in the Panini era still. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and all my... My old school upper deck guys will love that. Look, I don't have many of those. I wish I did. Everyone wishes they did. We all do. <laughs> because they're still better than anything that's come out. I think to your point, we're going to have a smorgasbord of like, back to my insert point earlier, chunks from different sets. And one I'll call out isn't autographed, but is game used. Panini did a pretty good job of taking the championship tags. And they'll make two or three of those in certain years. I think you're going to find subsets like that that become cherry picked and become like the key game worn pieces from the Panini era. Oh, that's super interesting. But it's not entire sets. It's subsets within that do really unique things. And and that would be one of them. So let me, let me like try to pin you down on this, on this specific topic. And I, again, it's not fair for me to do that because I don't actually have an answer, but if you had to sort of say like, one set that you think has done the best job with autograph patch or or actually let me let me change this let me change this question do you think there's a brand that has made the best looking autograph patches year over year in the panini era yes i I, in that context i would probably say holistically flawless i think flawless has done the most consistent job of it being game worn on card all of that Flawless, though, in my opinion, had they launched that brand first, done the game worn element and had that be the NTRPA, but in that brand, that would have been the closest you could get to exquisite, in my opinion, in the modern era. Where they messed up is to this day, I, I, I talked to some of the most educated collectors, new collectors, everything in between. No one can confidently tell you from Flawless which one's most important for a rookie. That's right. That confusion creates inconsistency, creates like, like I said, confusion create, like, what do I want from there? Do I want the horizontal? Do I want the vertical in this year? The horizontal is the vertical, you know, last year it was acetate looking or whatever. It just changes so much that you don't get continuity that creates understanding that creates value. So let me let me jump in real quick because we're almost out of time and we still have one to go. I yep. love I love how you how you just how you just broke that down and I completely agree with it. My belief is that that Panini did that deliberately. I think that they wanted different products to have competitive advantages over themselves, and I think they decided that back in 2012. They looked at the landscape and they said, "How do we make more brands 
that all matter. And yep. so they, they gave Flawless the rarest rookie. They gave Immaculate the rarest RPA. They gave NT the biggest patch RPA. And that's I think that was deliberate, but that's totally counter to what Upper Deck, Upper Deck did. Upper Deck said, this is the RPA. This is the best rookie card. It will always be. And I know they did other stuff. They did Ultimate. They did SPA. They did UD Black. I mean, I can walk you through like everything that they did. But Exquisite was always the main, the best, the best of the best. Oh, and nothing really compared compared with it. But in, in the Panini era, I think you're probably right that year over year flawless is probably the best. But I I also agree with you that like you have to look at you have to look at the other sets. Okay, let's hit our last one here in, in just a second. I suspect most of you have been on MC Sports Cards items on eBay and nearly 60,000 positive feedback. They're one of the biggest consignment companies on eBay. What you might not know is that they've started a focus auction for 1K and over items that end Monday nights, and they call it MC Mondays. Dozens of huge cards end on Monday, all at open auction. You could check out the items by searching by seller and going to MC underscore sports cards today. Okay, we've got seven minutes, and we have to include that at the outro, and you and I both need to go. So I'll go fast. I'll go fast. Cool. Guys, Ross and I, we we certainly went long there on that second one, which is not a shock to me. I'm sure it's probably not a shock to Ross as well. But we have one left each. We've each given our, our two things of the matter of the period that we're sure is, are going to matter. Ross, what's your last one? So my last one uh, and this is going to come as no surprise. I've, I've alluded to it throughout a little bit. Um, my last one is is golds and key one of ones from Prism. And everyone knows, look, I, I don't sell my Nebulas or any of that, but I'm a huge homer of, of what they've done with that brand. And then the continuity of the golds throughout. And obviously the importance of, of Prism Black. Um they become some of the most important. Yeah, they're beautiful. And when you I told did, me you got I that, I held up a Joe Ingalls Nebula just so it's in my background. But I wanted to show Ross that I'm. I mean, when there. you finally got that in hand, though, what do you think? And, and and you're more of a you collect from everywhere, but you, you collect a lot of older stuff too. But am I right in saying that when you hold something like that, you go, "Man, Panini actually got something right with this." Well, this I love that. I love that it's a one of one from Prism. I love it aesthetically. It's fantastic. It's beautiful in hand. It's the old yeah. scope pattern from the PMG Championship uh, set, which is, I mean, my be my best card in my collection is from that set. So, so, but the thing that I like most about it, Ross, is like it's Joe Ingles. It's it's it makes what it does is it makes a guy who doesn't matter to most collectors matter to the highest end collectors. And anytime you can do that, you've yep. won the game. And so, sorry, you you continue, but I I'm a huge fan. You, well, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, why else am I excited to post, you know, some of the stuff I've been posting? Uh, I love my number 81 as much. I love Billy Preston, Adam, as much as I love, right, my Donovan. You bought it, a Rudy Gobert. The Rudy Gobert, right? <laughs> so, but what's funny is, like, it's it, when you can transcend – and have stuff that's desirable, even when the player name or team may not be, you're onto something. And I'm not here to, to pump black, prism black over Nebula. Look, I think once again, the continuity of black starting sooner probably will always matter more. And I don't have as many of those as I do Nebula. I'm not here to sell either. But I think anytime you can have something from what I think is one of the top two or three nameplates from an era, that's a one of one. 
it matters. And it matters because no one else can just go out and buy it. And so when we collect, you know, there's so many things anymore that you can just hop on eBay this afternoon and complete the set by three, right? In the next uh, three hours, you could complete it. You can't do that with these. No, you can't. Um, and I love that aspect. So put, put the financial aside. I don't care what they're worth. I care that I have things that, that no one else in the world can just go get. And I think as a collector, that is really fun because it makes it uniquely your journey, your thing. The, the other thing that I want to double down on here is as time passes, we're going to have more and more niche player collectors. We yep. see, we've seen it for decades now, right? There were people back in the 1980s that had to own every card of Eric Davis, right? Sure. Like it just, it's, it's always existed, but it exists more today than it ever has. And the great part about it is if you look at like, I'm a big Rudy Gobert fan, right? Like, let's look at your, let's look at your Nebula Gobert card. Let's say at some point I look back and I go, you know what? I just want to try to own every Gobert card or every big Gobert card. I'm going to start with Prism and I'm going to start with the rare, at least for me, I would start with Prism because it's the brand of the era. And I'm going to say, what is the, you know, what are the cards that I really need to have from that? And I'm going to look at the Nebula and go, go crap. Why does Ross have that? I can't get that card from him. Um, And again, I think that, I think that really matters. We're down to the last two minutes. So I want to share mine real quick and then, and then we can conclude. Um, Base sets. Um, Panini has crushed the base sets for the last, for the last, uh, however many years, 13 years now, between 2009 uh, national treasures, 2012 flawless, 2012 national treasures and immaculate. And then everything that has come thereafter. That's been low numbered and difficult to find. I just, base sets have always mattered. And, um, and the fact that they've made them more like an insert, um, but recognized as a base card, um, serial numbered out of 99, serial numbered out of 20, serial numbered out of 150 or whatever. I think each of those are going to matter. And I could see a time where people where I, in fact, not only can I see a time, but I believe we will definitely see a time where people will say, as I just did with the Gobert stuff, they'll, people will be like, I want to own the Gobert from the, from all the base sets that he's in. And, um, and I want to put together the base set. And, and so the fact that there's so little of them, I just, I think that's going to matter. Yeah. It's funny. We talk a lot about the, uh, the things we cherish and, you know, Panini did a really good job with some of those, what I'll call mid rail or mid tier type brands that, we're only to 79, right? One of our favorite sets is only to 79. And it's one of the LeBrons I cherish more than most any, and not because it's worth more than any right now, but I guarantee you in time, people will want that card. They may not love that brand or set completely, but they will want that card from that time. And, and I think you're spot on with base sets. You know, if I have one honorable mention, it's it's any oddballs and things that kind of showed up in, in little spots. Like, obsidian did at one point status became status after elite there's a lot of guys that think that's cool there's a ton of you know totally certified guys now that really love yeah, the team for sure he has a lot of those that in time one of them will be like duh of course that of course. doesn't seem like it right now and it's going to be really cool to see how that plays out too i don't think we'll have a pmg from the era i agree with that but that's back to the exquisite NT. You can't compare to that. PMG yeah. own era, its own thing. And back to why I posted that comment initially, you know, I don't want to see anyone go away. 
But I do believe as a collector that when you can finally close a, a book, close a chapter, end the story, it's actually healthy for the hobby as a whole. And it's the human instinct of people want what they can't have or what they don't make anymore. And that's why I think Panini stopping and taking their brands with them is a good thing for, for overall. We don't need fanatics to continue to print Panini stuff under their new label. We need Panini to end that era. And maybe they come and exist 10 years again from now, like Chrome's going to do, right, yeah. or whatever. But that's actually healthy and adds more desirability, in my opinion, to the stuff that's already come before it. Dude, Ross, fantastic thoughts. I've got a million things to add. We're 100% out of time. Um, but your thoughts around these things are awesome. Super grateful that you'd be willing to join this today. Do you have any other last thoughts before we go? Just ha happy collecting, man. It's uh, it's actually a lot more fun to collect right now. And, uh, you know, it's funny. If, if you were in this to just collect throughout, um, things got so crazy for a while that it's actually a lot more fun again. Um, you know, and, and some will say, oh, prices are down, this or that. It, it's great. You can actually go win some things now and then. You can get some good trades. So just happy collecting everyone. And it seems like there's a lot more people with the collector mindset now, which is actually healthy for the thing overall, because that's what creates rarity and value, in my opinion, is people actually desiring to engage and, and have these things. Wonderful thoughts. You and um, you and I were two people who could probably look back and say, man, why didn't I sell the things I really loved? And people ask me that all the time. Why didn't you sell? Why didn't you? The answer is simple because I love the stuff that I, I love. Yeah. yeah. So, even, great thoughts, Ross. Even, even trading them, Adam, is hard. Even trying, you know, it's like, do you want to trade that? Not really. No. <laughs> so. Uh, Sometime when we're when we're done, uh, I'll tell you about a big card that I'm looking at buying and cool. what it would cost me, what stuff I'd have to sell to get rid of it. Ah, or to get it, it would be a killer. All right, Ross Berman, you're the man. Thank you for joining. Next week we will be back with another episode of the Basketball Card Podcast. And until then, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.